Welcome to a Vibrant Vision podcast. This podcast will explore the book, A Vibrant Vision, written by Richard Seaman, the chairman of Seaman Corporation. Seaman Corporation is a worldwide company known for industrial fabrics. This podcast will be an asset on the way to understanding all the book has to offer, and you will get to hear from Richard and the supporting players that have made Seaman Corp what it is today. I am your host, Jared Ribble. How does your company successfully navigate a recession? How do you maintain and foster remarkable, profitable growth? Seaman Corporation has been able to achieve these things by implementing a robust strategic plan through a very intentional process. Richard says in his book, strategic planning is critical to the long-term sustainability of any organization. It is more than simply developing a plan for the future. Effective strategic planning is more about the process than it is about the plan itself. Let's take a look at effective strategic planning and how you can develop your own successful process. In our previous podcast on human capital, Richard spoke with us about the process they call the SEA sessions, which is the strategic evaluation of their associates. This comes after they have a robust strategic planning session. When they have developed a strategic plan for the next few years, they can evaluate if they have the people and the processes in place to execute their plan. Richard gives us a thousand-foot view of his approach to strategic planning. I think it's important to do planning on an annual basis because the world is changing so rapidly and you need to bring your team together at least annually to understand how is the past plan unfolding, what's changed in your environment, and how do you need to make adjustments going forward. In a rapidly changing economic world, that needs to be done on an annual basis, in my opinion. So many organizations start strategic planning spend the time and create a three to five year plan. And then they decide, well, we don't need to do this again until we finish our three to five year plan. That's a mistake because as I constantly say, strategic planning, a robust strategic planning process is not about the plan. It's about the process that you're going through to develop the plan. How did Richard get here? What was the precipice for his need and desire to start intentional strategic planning within Seaman Corp? My father passed away in 1978, and that's when I more or less took over the reins of the company. And in the very early 80s, through the sort of benchmarking that I do and just trying to be in tune with what's happening in, in business, major business process that was talked about at that time was strategic planning. So I began to do some research around what is strategic planning? What might it mean to our business? I found, as you find with most of these emerging processes of the day, if you will, that about 90% of what's done uh, is not very sustainable. And you have a lot of consultants out there that purport to, to help you and you get some value out of it, but it becomes to some degree, the flavor of the day. So I 
just took more time to explore what what is strategic planning, who does it well, who doesn't do it well. And I was fortunate to find two um, people that I knew, networked resources that had experience with it. One of them was a professor at uh, Bowling Green State University where I had graduated, who um, had been a in charge of strategic planning for Carborundum before he went into the education or academic community. So I talked to him a bit about how he did it and how he approached it. And another was a senior manager at Rubbermaid who had done some strategic planning work there and shared with me his views about strategic planning. With these two resources, I decided to introduce the concept to my senior management team at the time. Now, this is in the early 80s, and we're probably doing $15 million a year in business annually. So um, we brought the two resources together. We went to an offsite meeting and started talking about the process and had uh, essentially the resource from Bowling Green be the resource that led our particular effort. He took us through the kind of standard things that you do in the planning process, trying to understand what your strengths and weaknesses are relative to your competition, what your market opportunities are. And again, this was very infant, <laughs> but it was an offsite time where you could get your managers away from their day-to-day -day responsibilities and talk about working on the business rather than being consumed with working in the business. This strategic planning session would end up being incredibly foundational for Seaman Corporation, and it wasn't simply because of the plan they were creating. This session was paving the way for a new product to be made that would alter their bottom line for decades. I like to share this first story because out of the discussions that we had in a day and a half surfaced a project that our research and development leader was working on. And this was to develop a unique fabric uh, with a urethane compound that could be used for producing above ground fuel storage tanks. Our research and development leader at the time had been working with a customer who was trying to introduce this type of fabric into the military marketplace to replace neoprene fabrics that had been used for several decades. And this type of fabric was more flexible, was easier to fabricate, and would really last longer than the, the neoprene materials the military was using. When this idea was presented to the entire team as a market opportunity, everybody got enthusiastic about the potential of this business for and this product for, to our business and for our company. And what it did was to get all the managers in alignment with what do we have to do to be successful with this product and get it introduced to the customer versus had we not had this meeting, had we not had this planning meeting, most of the managers would not have had an appreciation for what this potential was. And the leader of the research and development would have been competing for day-to-day -day time on equipment uh, to, to do the final production runs, testing the fabric and all. But because all of us understood the value and the potential of this product line, all of the 
senior managers that were responsible for production, manufacturing, supporting R&D. They all were in alignment and gave priority to that project. And in less than a year's time, we were actually getting orders from this customer. And over the course of years, it meant millions of dollars of sales to, to our particular business. This instance would set the stage for the communication Richard had long sought to have in the company. All of the senior managers who were a part of the strategic planning session could easily know how to move forward with this new product development because they were there at its inception. While the contact from Rubbermaid that Richard mentioned ended up only being a little part of the strategic planning moving forward, he said something that still resonates with Richard today. He made a comment to me that, you know, when you do strategic planning effectively with your whole team, then the rest of the year, you can run your business by talking shorthand to your management team. And what he meant by that was that when you as a management team, leadership team, spend time together to identify the future direction of the company. And then when you move from that strategic direction down to the tactical decisions that have to be made to execute that, everybody understands why you're making those tactical decisions. It could be as simple as hiring a new person to support a product line that's in its infancy, but as a management team, you have decided we need a resource to lead that effort so that once you hire that person and put them in that responsibility, you now don't have to go back and explain to the organization why you're hiring or you're committing to this additional resource to do that. So as I said, you can start talk shorthand to your leadership team as you're executing the tactics for supporting that plan. Richard knew that in order to effectively execute the strategic plan he desired, these outside facilitators he brought in were a key to the success. You need to commit to an outside facilitator, and then you need to look carefully about who you select. I became a believer right from the very beginning that if you're going to have a really effective strategic planning process, you should have an outside facilitator assist in this process. Your outside facilitator needs to be an accomplished business person. He needs to be somebody that has experience in understanding uh, the uniquenesses of your business and uh, ask the kind of questions that will focus on the strategic issues of the, of the business. An outside facilitator can do this so much more effectively than any internal person in your organization can do. Despite the fact that you may have a really strong, qualified internal person, that person brings intentionally or unintentionally biases to the strategic thinking. He, I mean, everybody, he or she will have those, those biases. And to try to keep those out of the facilitation process, I think is a, is a challenge. Even if that person, that facilitator, intern the internal facilitator, is successful at avoiding her biases, the rest of the organization will be thinking, well, what's their personal agenda around even the questions that are being asked? So having an outside objective facilitator just makes it much, much more effective 
in, in terms of the dialogue that occurs. We've been fortunate to find excellent facilitators, and they're not easy to find. There's a, you know, a lot of consultants that purport to be strategic planning consultants, but the good ones are rare because, again, as I say, they have to be able to understand your business quickly. They have to know how to ask questions in a non-threatening way and a non-critical way. And another challenge for them is that a good facilitator will be able to raise your leadership's thinking to a strategic level and keep them out of the tactical level. When you bring your management team together, you don't necessarily have a group of naturally thinking strategic leaders. What you have are very good managers who have to manage on a day-to-day basis focused on the tactics of the business to execute and to pull them out of that environment and get them to think at a strategic level is no easy challenge. They're left on their own to do the planning. They'll stay at the tactical level. It's really hard to get them above that. This is what a really good outside facilitator will do. As I said, we were fortunate with the first person that we found who had a lot of experience. He came out of the academic community. In fact, he was so good, we used him for years and I invited him to be on our board of directors and he served as an outside board member for many years. That was excellent too, because he could explain to the board what had been done at the strategic level with you know how he had led the management team and a little more background around the strategy that we wanted to have approved by the board. Subsequently, I was able to find another resource whose total focus was strategic planning. I literally, interestingly, found him in an, uh, the nonprofit <laughs> community. But after I worked with him a bit there and I liked his process, I asked him if he did you know, work for for-profit organizations. The facilitator Richard landed on was a guy named Max. Well, hi, I'm, I'm Max Stark. Um, I have uh, a consultant uh, with a very broad practice, mostly strategic planning, some executive coaching. Lost track, but it's o- I've done over 100 strategic plans um, for many, many different kinds of companies and organizations. I had the pleasure of uh, meeting Dick Seaman, I think it's exactly 20 years ago in 2003. Um, Dick was and still is on the board of a foundation. And the exec of that foundation knew me and asked me to come in to talk about strategic planning. Dick was the planning chair on the board. That's when we met. And as we began to work uh, on the foundation's plan, Dick said something like, hey, can we have lunch? (laughs) And uh, basically started talking to me a bit about Seaman Corp and their history around planning and the potential for my becoming the uh, consultant slash facilitator of the uh, Seaman strategic planning. And that's how it really started. Max brought a different perspective and a varied background to the strategic planning process. His experiences and background would add to these sessions in a way like no other facilitator previously. Uh, he has a psychology background, which is invaluable, I think, to a facilitator in strategic planning, because you've got all these diverse personalities that are all very good, but you've got to get them working in alignment and, and you know, talking at a strategic level. I hadn't thought about it before, but I think a good metaphor would be Coach Phil Jackson, who had the 
put people like Dennis Rodman and Michael Jordan together to, to win a successful championship year after year. But that's what a really good facilitator can do is to just take really strong personalities and strong capabilities and get them, bring them in alignment to deal with, to identify the strategic issues and then to deal with those strategic issues effectively. Max begins the focus of his strategic plans in a very specific way. The mental approach of all managers going into these sessions is important. The importance of making sure that the plan separates results or outcomes from how-tos. I've always, I remain often surprised by how many strategic plans I encounter that mix, that overlap uh, the how-tos with the actual outcomes or results that you want. And I have found in my practice that it is really good to get um, companies, organizations to separate those two things cleanly uh, in in both the discussions and ultimately in the way the plan looks. Max would bring high value to these planning sessions. His approach would help point the Seaman Corp ship in the right direction for many years to come. One major part of an effective strategic planning session is to keep the conversation focused on the strategic work of the future and not the tactical work of the here and now. We will dive into this more with Richard and Max when we come back. Established in 1949 and now headquartered in Wooster, Ohio, with additional manufacturing in Bristol, Tennessee, Seaman Corporation is known worldwide for the production of high-value, high-performance fabrics. Among some of the applications, Seaman Corporation fabrics are used for geomembrane liners, architectural structures, truck tarps, roofing membranes, and applications for the military and government. With the combination of a unique, puncture-resistant fabric construction with a commitment to superior customer service and satisfaction, Seaman Corporation fabrics exhibit incomparable product performance. Being a part of the Seaman team not only puts you on the forefront of industrial fabric innovation, but also affords some wonderful benefits, all housed within a family atmosphere. If this sounds like a place you need to be, visit SeamanCorp.com slash join our team. We have been talking to the chairman of Seaman Corp, Richard Seaman, and strategic planning consultant, Max Stark. We introduced how Seaman Corp got to the strategic planning sessions they found successful and met one of the facilitators who helped them achieve these effective plans for many years. But knowing the difference between tactical and strategic plans is imperative to the success of the overall strategic planning session. The discussion must stay focused in order to be effectively laid out. You know, starting the strategic planning process, you know, brought a great deal of benefits to our to our company. But it's an evolutionary process, and we found that we had to find ways to grow the process itself and, and you know, evolve it to make it even more effective. In the early years, essentially the way we did strategic planning was that we set aside two or three days. We went to an offside location and we spent that time period talking about the issues of the, 
of the, the company. We tried to talk about the strategic issues, but it didn't take long for us to default back to the tactical ones because what we wanted to finish at the end of two days or three days was to have our budget for the coming year done, have our business plan for the coming year and the, and the budget that's associated with that. So if that was your objective at the end of a two or three day offsite, it was pretty easy to default from strategic issues down to the tactical issues that had to be answered to get a business plan done. After doing that for several years, my chief financial officer at the time and I started talking about it and we decided we have to find a way to segregate tactical from the strategic. So what we decided to do was to continue the one-year business plan offsite that we were doing so we would get that. But then about six months later, resurrect, create and resurrect another process around strategy that was not geared towards coming up with a business plan. As that evolved, it turned out to be a very, very good way to do it because when we'd start the strategic planning cycle, we would be six months into our fiscal year from the previous plan. And we could evaluate how that plan was unfolding and you know, get some validation about whether the previous plan was a good one or not a good one. In addition, we did a lot more preparatory work for the offsite because the other thing we found ourselves doing in these initial strategic planning cycles was spending a lot of time arguing about the validity of the marketplace. We had a diverse set of opinions about who our competitors were, what market share they had, who were the you know the good customers, what did the customers think about us in terms of our quality of product and quality of service. So several months before we would start our, or have our offsite, we would have half-day meetings just to talk about the issues around competition and, and market. We actually did some internal market research to prepare for the offsite. We would present that information before the offsite so that if you know manufacturing thought one thing about competition and sales and marketing thought something else, we could go back and try to validate those questions and see what you know what was the real data. Thus when we did our two to two day offsite for strategic planning, we didn't have to consume a lot of time questioning the validity of the data that we were working with, but we would have already identified what are the strategic issues that have surfaced out of this market research that we did or surfaced from input from customers that we had or surfaced from what we learned about competition. What strategic issues surfaced out of that? And then we could focus those two days on those strategic issues. We would come out of that session with a at minimum three, sometimes five-year strategic plan of where we wanted to go. And we, you know, we would bring that together. After that meeting, what that would do then is dovetail into our annual plan cycle. And then we could do a business plan for the following year that was in alignment with the strategic plan issues that came out of that session. So it just seemed to, it was like hand in glove in terms of going from strategic thinking to the tactical one-year business plan, but enough separation between them that you can stay strategic at one level and you can be tactical at the other level. Asking people, what are the big questions going forward that we're going to need to answer over the next three or four years in order to be successful? You know, that is part of keeping people oriented to the longer term and the bigger picture. 
The other thing that helps with that, one of the reasons why I don't like the traditional SWOT, which is a, a traditional part of strategic planning, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, is that they start with strengths, weaknesses. They, it starts with the inside of the company asking, well, what are, what are our assets and what are our liabilities? I don't like that. I think if it's strategic, you have to start outside the company and say what's happening, you know, and what's going to happen. I call them emerging uh, realities. <laughs> and so it's about uh, where the puck is going, not where the puck is. And so, you know, uh, if you're going to talk strategy and you're going to, so it's, and I think there's a natural tendency on for humans, all of us, me included, when I'm on the other side of the table, to not do that, to think about what, what's going on right now and not think sufficiently about, well, what's going to change? You know, what's going to be happening over the next three, four years? But if you can, if you can have people do the external look-see first, and as part of this question, you know, what are the big questions? I think you get more long-term, more strategic, um, you know, uh, thinking. I do think uh, one one footnote to all that is that the, you know I have clients sometimes call me and they'll say we we need to we need to do strategy because we've got some future decisions. And I tell them routinely, there's no such thing. There is no such thing as a future decision. There are only decisions now. If it's a decision, it's now. And the reason I, so strategic planning isn't about future decisions. It's about what I call the futurity of current decisions. One person who can speak to the decisions being made now and how those decisions impact the direct future of Seaman Corporation is the current CEO, Jeff Swartz. Jeff did not grow up with Seaman Corporation's journey into their strategic planning process, but he is putting his own fingerprint on it as the current CEO. His view of keeping the discussions in these processes as strategic issues and not tactical ones adds a new thread to this tapestry Seaman Corp has been weaving. For his current team, the focus on strategy boils down to their value proposition and keeping that at the forefront of their minds in the discussions. For us in our strategy, there's a couple big questions that we ask. And the first one is, where does our value proposition resonate, including, you know, where are we positioned relative to competition? And then how do we go after the biggest areas for growth? So those are pretty big questions that need to be answered strategically that then help inform how you execute tactically. So very specifically, we made some decisions over the last couple of years, which were probably accelerated through some of the challenges with supply chain and labor and inflation. Uh, We made some decisions to exit some businesses and refocus our most important assets on, again, in, in areas where our value proposition resonated with our customers. And so, you know, we started out with a value proposition and then quickly got to a point of what that meant tactically from a from a month to month standpoint. So I think it's important to to have the big picture in mind, because that also helps you communicate more clearly with your organization so that we're not just making decisions based on whatever the, the, the latest thing that happened is. And so our organization is very clear that we're going to promote segments and products where the value proposition is clear, where customers are willing to pay for it, and, and that's worked for us. When we come back, we will talk with Max about the future casting that happens in his strategic planning sessions. 
This podcast is a small snippet of the great information housed inside of Richard Seaman's book, A Vibrant Vision, The Entrepreneurship of Multi-Generational Family Business. To have a vision of growing a small family business into a sustainable multi-million dollar business requires distinctive processes that support innovation, human capital development, strategic planning, and quality assurance in manufacturing and service. A Vibrant Vision shares the experiences of the author in his growing family business after his father passed away at a young age and building this industrial fabrics business into a multi-million dollar company, while at the same time encouraging his children and grandchildren to become stewards of this treasure we call a family business. To get your own copy of this book, visit Amazon.com. Jeff Swartz, CEO of Seaman Corporation, explained how he approaches strategic and tactical decisions within the company today. Jeff sees the strategy planning within this process as the marker that indicates how the business will move forward tactically now and in the future. Max's approach to this overall view within his strategic planning looks at the whole picture of what you are trying to do as a destination. Where do we want to be? And then we can talk about how to get there. So to give you an example, I routinely, as part of strategic planning, do what I call 10-year destination. It's a, a kind of a, a, you know, maybe sometimes often it's a one-page word picture of, you know, how, we, what, how do we see ourselves 10 years from now? It's not vision. Vi- by the way, vision as a word in strategic planning is I'm going to say it's the most misunderstood word, most varied. People stick values in vision. They they do all kinds of different things. So that's why I use 10-year destination as a more concrete picture, but still outside the normal three-year, you know, what are we going to do over the next year, two, two three years, as a to create a picture of if we had our druthers, if we did the ideal, what would we look like 10 years from now? So what's the value of that? You never actually achieve the 10-year destination the way you wrote it 10 years earlier. The point of it is not whether you're going to achieve it exactly the way you lay it out. The point of it is to create a picture of where you would love to be and then use that as a compass or a North Star to decide, well, what do we need to do now if we're going to be there 10 years from now? That's the strongest, clearest part of what I'm trying to describe to you. But also doing a three-year plan, because there's a 10-year destination in the plans I do, but there's a three-year more detailed plan. Even the three-year outcomes also are kind of like that. We can't decide about those three-year outcomes. All we can do is decide that we would love to be there three years from now, and then say, what do we need to do now? That's, by the way, why I don't do action planning, you know, detailed, what do we need, who's going to do what? for three-year period, because you can wrap fish <laughs> in that kind of plan. I mean, it, it think, there's too much whitewater. There's too much change. And it, you could create a three-year action plan, and then you're just going to have to rewrite it every year. So you, what you do is you create a 10-year destination, a three-year detailed strategic plan, and then you build a one-year action plan off of that. This entire planning process sets the business up for the decisions the company must make to execute the plan you have put in place. At the end of our strategic planning session, we would then have what we call our C session, our strategic evaluation of associates. And at the strategic level, what we wanted to do 
was look at the strategy and say, okay, if this is the strategy we want to execute over the next three to five years, do we have the organization to do that? Are we organized in a way to be able to execute on that plan? And if we're organized the right way, do we have the right people in the right places to accomplish that? That helped us identify leadership and management voids that we might have. And then we'd have to start, you know, kind of a long-term program through, again, the human capital function of developing the leadership and the managers that we would need. When we would do our business plan for the coming year, and this would be, you know, three to four months later, part of that business plan process would be another C-session that was very tactically focused because this is when we're actually going to hire the people and bring them on board to meet the organizational needs to execute the next year's plan or to bring people on board to start them being trained to execute the longer-term plan down the road. Once again, if your entire management team is involved with that, you don't get managers or departments questioning why you're hiring this person or creating that position. It, it helps you, again, as I said, talk in shorthand. Richard uses a three- to five-year planning model in these strategic planning sessions. And he believes that even if you plan for three to five years of time, you still must have a strategic planning session every year to reevaluate where you are and where you are going. Here are the primary components, I think, in the order that I think, again, a good strategic planning process addresses them. First of all, you know, what is the macroeconomic environment that you're operating in right now? You have a, a changing environment out there, and whether it's a financial crisis or whether it's COVID, those are tsunamis that come down. But you always have a kind of a macroeconomic environment that's out there, and you've got to recognize what is that and how does that affect your business? How will the current domestic economy affect your business? We go through cycles, and every business is going to have an impact from that in one way or the other. How will the global economy affect your business? Uh, we're in a global world, and you just can't be isolated to your domestic economy that you're involved in. Just have to have your radar out and think about what, what opportunities are there in the global economy, probably more critically, what competition is out there globally. And as again, as we've seen, government policy can affect that. So the next question, what is the government doing that may be a plus or a minus to what your business is? As an example right now, the supply chain issues that are out there are causing government policy to try to move things more to domestic manufacturing. How is that going to affect, on one hand, your supplies and the cost of your supplies and your inputs? And on the second hand, how's it going to affect your global market opportunities that are out there? How will the societal, demographic, and cultural trends affect your business? You need to be looking at what are those macroeconomic trends. What do you need to protect your existing markets that you've got? Uh, they're always under threat. There's disruptions that, that occur that could essentially take your market away. What are your future market opportunities? Where, where do you see uh, opportunities for growth in terms of what's changing in the marketplace or the markets out there that your skills and talents and capabilities can address? And you can turn those into business opportunities. Then what are the barriers to success in those markets? 
the product and service development. I mean, you can, you can say, here's a great market and we can make this great product or we can supply this great service. But there are things that will impact your ability to take advantage of those. There's the, the, the product and service development. There's the distribution chains to get to the ultimate customer. There's the competition. And then there's the customer perception of the value that you're bringing. You may think you have a great product that will really take care of your customer's needs, but your customer's not convinced of that. And it's many times hard to change the mindset of customers. So those are things that stand in the way between a great product idea for a market opportunity you think that's out there, but they all have to get resolved before they can become commercialized and, and be a sustainable business opportunity for you. Richard looked at these things beginning in three-year increments, and Jeff does as well. It actually seems this number of three resonates in many ways within the company planning. The way we've tried to do it here is uh, I'm, I'm in my third year, so uh, we developed sort of a three-year strategy in first year, and then we tweaked the strategy in the subsequent two years, and this year we've gone back and done a little bit of a deeper dive of you know where we want to be, where we don't want to be, um, how we want to invest, both in terms of our assets from a people standpoint and assets from a physical standpoint in our plants. That's sort of step one. And then uh, from there, um, we develop strategic initiatives. So we have three strategic initiatives in our business that we, we then cascade to organization through uh, annual objectives um, so that it all uh, ties together. The other thing we do is uh, develop a financial plan that supports the strategy. And it's not only a P&L plan, but also an investment and cash flow plan that, that supports the three-year strategy. Richard's commitment to a robust strategic planning process would massively pay off when the recession of 2007 came looming. Seaman Corporation's ability to get back on their feet quickly proved the agility of their plan and the flexibility of the company's strategy. By the fourth quarter, our business rate was almost the same as it had been the previous fourth quarter before the crisis started. I attribute that performance and that ability to react quickly, be nimble enough to react quickly, to adjust to that and get back on a track of revenue growth and profitability growth in less than 12 months. I attribute that to an effective strategic planning process. In part two of strategic planning, we will tell the full story of what happened at Seaman Corporation when the recession hit and talk about why they were able to bounce back so quickly. Richard, Max, and Jeff will join us again as we talk about the importance of a strategic plan when the going gets tough and the building blocks that make for a firm foundation in your company. I am your host, Jared Ribble. Thanks for joining me.